Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to visit London, you're recommended to go to Madison Fizzles, go to London Eye, go watch a game with West Ham Football Club. And they're What's, being sat. That's a recommendation to watch West Ham. All right, this is the Talking Tactics Podcast, episode 90. Shout out. I like, yes! 90, man. I like the zeros and the fives, as I say. Um, yeah, we do this every Tuesday. My name's Daniel. It's your boy, Halfful. Double H, trying to live, trying to exist, trying to stay black, the sexiest football analyst on the planet, but it being but a three smacks. Hi, it's Carl. <laughs> no, 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 look, Carl, you've got to bring in some swag, man. You can't just be like, hi, come on, man. Carlos, come on, Carlos, come on. Your intro is full of hype and bluster. Mine is just, hello. My intro is the anti-intro. Well, Indeed. Carlos, if the If the entire show works on us in contrasting opinions, then surely my introduction should be at contrast to your introduction. Well, That's Carlos, I do believe that you should um, enjoy your own introduction, and I feel that our introductions say which kind of characters that we are. Of course, yes, 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 yes. Good. <laughs> Uncle Moo's back. Uncle Moo's back. He's back. He's back. He's back. He's back. He's back. He's back. Uncle Moo's back. He's back. We do this podcast every Tuesday, as I said. If you could follow us on Twitter at Talking Tactics, that would be amazing. If you could follow us on Instagram, that would be dope as well. Uh, we're on Facebook. Carl is in control of that. If you are on an Apple device and you want to leave us an Apple review, uh, please do. Five stars only, though. Five stars only, though. We'll read them on the show. We have two this week. Uh, Kev left one. He was kind of mad that we didn't read it on the last one, but I didn't look. So my apologies, Kev. Uh, he said if Zola, Cantona, and Taribo West had a podcast. Wait, 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 wait. We're like, we're, we're like, wait, so it's I'm Taribo West? Of the three, I think that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, wait, wait, wait. What's that supposed to mean? Uh, he's the only Nigerian of those three. Um, oh, why would you? Why, why? Why would he pick Terrible West? <laughs> maybe, maybe his eccentric <laughs> hairstyle and your eccentricness sparked some sort of correlation in his mind. Uh, yeah, nah. <laughs> Carl. Well, yeah, it said uh, if Gianfranco Zola, Eric Cantona, and Terrible West had a podcast, this would be it. Some sound football views with a sprinkle of just the right amount of outlandish ludicrosity. I don't know how to say this word. Ludicrosity. That's a word. I don't yeah. think so. Well, it's a word now. Look, the English language is is lame. You can make up new new things. It's ludicrosity. It's a word. Yes. To teeter on the right side of funny. So thank you, Kev. Uh, shout out to to Kev. And then we got another one from someone in France, Man City, a two 0 up on Stoke, from a guy called Jisung Park the Great. Says greetings. One of the best football podcasts around. You guys are funny and knowledgeable. Carl is probably my favorite host in the podcast game. No, oh, whatever that. Oh, what's... Eloquent. I really like his voice. Eloquent. So I don't... 
What do you mean by eloquence? Oh, nah. <laughs> keep it up, guys. So, so, Carl, did you did you write that under a different username from friends? Um, uh, uh, no nah, eloquence yeah uh, very much appreciate it yeah, yeah. it's, it's it's a nice contrast from the person that said i was too harsh on half hope and his views um so thank you it's nice to be complimented on the podcast it is uh yeah so speaking of france again i'm gonna remind you guys that we do have a talking tactic special coming out two weeks from now on march 27th it's about zinedine zidane in the world cup so you guys will get talking tactics in a couple weeks but not in the same fashion uh, as you're used to, that I, I put the art on Instagram. So if you're curious about uh, the art, I kind of wrote like a little blurb about it. So that's going to be coming out March 27th. So yeah, I wasn't here last week, was I? No, you weren't. I was not. So it's good to be back. So here's how we're going to do it. We're currently recording during Manchester City versus Stoke. Manchester City are two 0 up against Stoke. Goals a, a brace from David Silva, which makes me very happy because I just added David Silva into my fans football team this week. Uh, so, gentlemen, what I want to do is I want to go back. I want to go in reverse order from this weekend's fixtures and just jump at me with your quick conclusions from the fixtures. So, if you go in reverse order, we should end up talking about Manchester United versus Liverpool. So, let's do this. Um, first things first, Sunday's late game uh, Bournemouth 1, Tottenham 4. Main takeaways from this game Bournemouth went ahead after seven minutes. They could have been 2 0 up after 15. Harry Kane goes off injured after. 33 minutes he is now with an ankle injury he's now a doubt for the rest of the season and possibly the world cup and yet with loads of talk about spurs bottling it following the juventus game spurs rallied son once again is in a wonderful purple patch and they put four past bournemouth what do we think son who mean i wouldn't call it a purple patch i will call it he needs to be appreciated more quality quality play was quality for leverkusen and his quality now. He's never really had a moment where he's just been playing bad. He's always been either decent or really good. And I think, yeah, Hurricane is a miss. But my, my God, Sung Hoo Min is his fan just, just, just the way he is. So I think, um, and also Tottenham, didn't they come second without Hurricane? So I don't think Hurricane being injured is not a, a big deal for, for, for Tottenham. They already, have, they already have quality players. Did that remind you Lucas Moura as well? So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting that after after Kane went off injured, rather than put on Jorente, did I get that right? Jorente, Jorente. No, no, no. Have hope. You're wrong. Let me let me read this this comment properly. This is from Nicholas Ramos. He said, "P.S. Just a quick note on the pronunciation. I'm gonna pronounce it incorrect just for purposes. Lorente uh, is pronounced is not pronounced Lorente." The double L in Spanish is pronounced as the J in English, like Jackson or Jordan. So according to Nicolas Ramos, Lorente isn't Lorente. Lorente is Jorente or Jorente, which is weird. I don't know if that's going to stick. I'll try to remember it. So what, he, what uh, Pochettino did was he brought on Lamella and changed to a front three with Son at the top. Uh, Deli Alley playing slightly behind him, Lamella on one side and Ericsson on the other side, I believe, which gave them a great deal, uh, a great amount of movement. Um, interesting thing for Thomas by now is they've got to go to Stamford Bridge and play Chelsea, which could be a, a really big battle as to how the top four will shape up. Uh, I felt like as soon as Tottenham went down 1 0, I, I, it felt almost, you know, how people say Spursy in a way after mm-hmm. what happened with them uh, with Juventus in midweek, where, you know, uh, they 
conceded what two goals in the course of five minutes or something like that and then they go down one nil against Bournemouth and I'm like oh here we go and then Harry Kane goes down like oh definitely they're certainly going to lose this game and then they give them four um I thought it was just very impressive the kind of mental resilience they showed which is kind of not what you expect from a Spurs side but I think this Spurs side has shown that they're they're different than than ones from the past the two big mistakes quite a lot of pundits made at the start of the season were Spurs weren't weren't going to challenge for top four because of the Wembley curse. And I think the one that a lot of people fell prey to was also Burnley were going to end up in the relegation zone, which I've got egg on my face on that one, at least. Arsenal, three, Watford, nil. Uh, the main man, the main story here is Troy Deeney missing a penalty. No, <laughs> not. let me correct myself. Troy Deeney didn't miss a penalty. Petr Cech, for the first time, never in his Arsenal career, for the first time in his Arsenal career, saved the penalty and Petr Cech collected his 200th clean sheet in the English Premier League. The gap Amazing. between his 199th clean sheet and his 200th clean sheet was 85 games. Uh, gentlemen, any other main takeaways from this? I think my main one is it's, it's just a bit typical of an Arsenal Wenger Arsenal side now to only start clicking when there's nothing really left to play for in the league. Mkhitaryan and Oba linking up, it seems, you know, it's very nice. A little... Mickey, uh, Mickey. Indeed. A little... Uh, <laughs> mulligan from their days back at Dortmund. But it, there, there's only so much of Arsenal you can get excited for. Uh, I have now given up my ticket to watch them play AC Milan because i got things to do on my Thursday now. Uh, Boris Mason asked, just kind of going back to the Petr Cech thing, he has 200 clean sheets, so where do we rank him among the all-time Premier League greats? And I, do, do you mean greats as in every player or greats as in goalkeeper? I, I think we should limit it to goalkeeper. So 200 clean sheets... Where does that rank him among the best goalkeepers? Because I still feel like people would put Schmeichel ahead, Van der Sar perhaps. Um, yeah, no, for me, I, I, I think there's there's Chelsea, there's Czech before the head injury, and mm-hmm. a Czech after the head injury. Czech before the head injury was easily one of the best keepers ever in the Premier League, and all four, all five, he was the best keeper in the world. But I think ever since that head injury, you've definitely seen him decline, and especially for Arsenal. You ask almost any Arsenal fan, he's not been been great for Arsenal. So I think there's a the early half of his career where he was amazing and could be argued was one of the best. And there's a second half where I think Schmeichel was far more consistent through. Shea Given as well, far more consistent through his career. What? <laughs> Shea <laughs> Given. Um, Shea Given. Okay. Um... You're sleeping on Shea Given. I think because you guys were too young in the nineties, man. You were too young in the nineties. Shea Given and Petr Cech should not be in the same sentence. No, 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 no. You, you guys were were too young in the nineties. Some of the stuff that Shea Given, the saves that this guy made, were insane. Shea Given isn't of the nineties. Shea Given, was of the nineties and the two thousands. Shea Given was longevity personified. I think he has something like four hundred Premier League appearances. Shea Given has been playing, Mike. No, since I was in Nigeria. Oh, trust, definitely in the late nineties. Because since I was watching Premier League in, in, in Nigeria, Shea Given was there like as a young for Newcastle. Nah, man. Yeah, He's Shea Given has 100 uh, caps international football. Shea Given's been playing since 1996. Tell a lie. He made his debut playing for Blackburn Rovers in 94. Shea Given is longevity. I don't think... 94, wow. Cech is one of Chelsea's greatest ever goalkeepers, if not Chelsea's greatest ever goalkeeper. I think he's top one, top three for Chelsea. You know, he was sold at the exact right time by Chelsea to us. Kudicini was pretty good, man. He was. I don't. He's I think not better than Czech. He's not Petr Czech. Petr Czech, you know, had the clean sheet record, 
uh, before Van der Sar took it in the one of the, the one of the, um, Ferguson's great last seasons with Nemanja and Rio. Um, Pajek was fantastic. I think he recovered from that head injury really, really well. And it was only in his last maybe two or three seasons at Chelsea where he started to have, you know, his athleticism began to fade and he became vulnerable at the near post, which is a problem that has been exacerbated at his time at Arsenal where he is subject to a lot more shots than he was at Chelsea. You know, the big quote that when Pajek went from Chelsea to Arsenal was that John Terry said he's worth 15 points a season. He's never, he wasn't going to be that player for Arsenal, but he still is a very good goalkeeper and he is a fantastic servant to any football club. By all means, Petr probably not the best top five goalkeepers in the Premier League right now, but there was a time where he was the top three in the world. And by all accounts, he's one of the top 20 in world football as like hmm. a nice man. So good on him. Uh, Nicholas Ramos, who also asked about or who corrected us on, on Lorente, says, Hey, I'm from Colombia and I was wondering. What do you think about David Ospina's time in Arsenal? Should he stay or leave and wait for Petacek to retire? Also, what um, are your opinions on Falcao, James, and our chances in the World Cup? The, the thing about Ospina is they call him Ospina or Ospina. Uh, Arsenal fans call him Dustin Dave. Um, no, I'm not laughing <laughs> no, at him again. No, no, no. Don't do it. Don't do that, <laughs> I'm don't not do going to do it. He's, there, there was a short spell where he seemed like a very competent goalkeeper, but he's not very good. Uh, he absolutely should not wait and see if when Petrek goes, if he should be the number one Arsenal goalkeeper. Because if if Arsenal persists with Ospina as their number one goalkeeper, Arsenal are not gonna are gonna continue this slow descent into Europa League mid table obscurity. In regards to Colombia and their international prospects, something I find particularly interesting about them now is they've gone from being a team known for Falcao, James Rodriguez, and whatnot to being a team with fantastic centre backs. So. Davison Sanchez, record signing for Tom Hotspur this season, 42 million, amazing centre-back and, you know, if time calls for it, defensive midfielder. And they've got Balanta, uh, Balanta, who is currently at FC Basel, if I correct myself there, who has been linked to Tom Hotspur and has been linked to a number of top six clubs in the Premier League. He can play at centre-back and he can play at left-back as well. Um, I, th- I think it's interesting how... Colombia were known for having amazing attacking footballers and now their strength is their defense. Um they're gonna be a hard team to beat, but I think they're gonna they're not gonna reach the quarterfinals this year. I think their limit will be last sixteen. And this is the point where I like look at the group stages again to make sure they're in a good group. <laughs> Senegal, Poland and Japan, and I would expect Colombia yeah. to finish at least second in that group. That's a hard group. And and who who finishes first? I don't know. No, look, man, we have to support our Senegalese brothers, man. Come on, man. I don't know. I, right. I, I just say I think Colombia would be would be expect to come second there. I think that's that's a potential. That's a low key group of death. Yeah. Ah, no, no, yeah. no, no. It is. No, no. It, no, for me, it is a group of death. Like if you watch the Half Football Hot's previews, Carlos. <laughs> yes, Half Football. If you actually watch the the damn thing, I told you that. Look, man, that's three way. Japan are not in the in the conversation, but it's 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 definitely a three way between those three for the top two spots. Japan would be in there like what ninety six years from now? <laughs> no, no, no. Look, that that's that that's hundred rare thing. That's that's not happening. No. Next, next, next fixture call. Uh, interesting things for Chelsea two, Crystal Palace one. Olivia Drugo's start was I don't want to say fantastic, but it has staked his claim to start against Barcelona on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's. 
I said stake his claim. I didn't say he has to start. I think he no, 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 no. I'm, I'm laughing at the situation where, like, that would even be a possibility. Not, <laughs> that's, not... That's, the, that's the thing. That's a reality, yeah. Um, and uh, Crystal Palace oh, looked very ordinary until Zaha came on in the second half, and then they looked as if they could earn a draw. So... Palace is a moron. Palace, Palace look to be sinking, but as long as they got Z- Wolf, they've got a chance of avoiding the relegation zone. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Wolf the milf. The the <laughs> no no. It's it's rhymed. It's rhymed. I, I I'm, he's not really a milf. It, it, it rhymed. Relax. Um, <laughs> my thing. Look, as I said, look the the Chelsea situation. I don't know whether this right time to say this. It's linked into parts why. It's all. It's obvious. Like, what's the, I was I was, I was arguing with, with guys on the hangouts. And I was, I was arguing with Mohammed because he was saying that um, Batshuayi was bad for Conte. He always lost the ball. He wasn't effective. I said, a striker, your first put of call is to score goals. Your second thing is to score goals. Your third is to score goals. Your fourth is to score goals. Your fifth is to clean the dustbin and sweep the debt away. So if he scores goals, that's all that matters. And for me, if you see such a natural goal scorer, build your team around him. Don't force him into a system. All the matters are the results. No one gives a damn about your flipping um, psychology or your philosophy of football. Just get the damn results and get the players playing in their best possible positions and get the best out of them in a system that promotes their um, characteristics and what they are good at. Look at what what, what this boy is doing for Dortmund. I mean, what's it called? His goal ratio based on games is incredible. Look at his goal ratio based on the minutes that he played for Chelsea. And you're now going into the the flipping new camp with flipping Giroud as an op. I mean, you just said that Giroud is taking his claim to stats in the new camp. Do you know how sick that that is? You're putting (laughs) Giroud up against Pique and Umtiti. Busquets will destroy him. I mean, that's that's mad. Giroud should never sniff the bl- a blade of grass at the new camp. It shouldn't be allowed in the stadium's the vicinity. Like the the Catalonian guys should actually put him in jail. So let's see, that Spanish prime minister, he should actually put him in jail with the other Catalan guys as well. That's what should happen. I mean, what? Hi, hi, hope. He said down. he should never sniff a blade of grass at the new camp. <laughs> Oh Jesus, man! I don't. Wow. I, I. I'm. I'm not gonna try to follow that. I'm just gonna say Crystal Palace looked great when Zaha came on. They were lucky not to get a point from the game. And uh, if Chelsea play like they did in the second half, then they should just abandon the game at the new camp. Oh no, 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 I just saw like because I think it was it was Drogba's birthday yesterday, I think, mm. and they did like a montage of like his time at Chelsea. Apart from George Weah, I would say second best lone striker of all time behind George Weah. Greatest? Oh, okay. This this could be a little conversation. I know it's deviating. Greatest African striker? Who would it George be? George Weah. George Weah. George Weah, and then who? Etso. So Weah, Etso, Drogba. Weah. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. That. Although, 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 does Drogba get credit for stopping a civil war in his country? Oh yeah. And does that put Drogba. him perhaps second? If we're going to talk about greatness. Great. Oh, no, no, no. no. Great. For greatness, definitely George Weah then Drogba. Because for Weah, what Weah that guy did president. for Liberia, my God. <laughs> no, no. Forget the presidency. What the guy was doing for Liberia as a player as well for the for the country. Just ask most Liberians, man, was... Because I was having a discussion with a guy about it. I was just saying that what this guy was doing for Liberia back in the 90s and in the 2000s when he was playing for for Liberia. For, AC Milan and so forth was was huge. Hence, why he's so p- popular in Liberia, <laughs> you know. Mm. 
But I think Edson, man, Edson did it for Mallorca. He did it for Barcelona. He did it for Inter Milan. You want to talk about how much, you know, how Petr is a wonderful human being, then Didier Drogba is also a fantastic human being. Mm. Um, I, there's a, there was an exhibit in the British Museum in 2000, I want to say 11. So this was the season where Chelsea had the kit with the red trim on the collar. Daniel? 2010, 2011, yeah. Yep. Uh, and it was a exhibit to the state of globalization and multiculturalism in the world and it was a hundred different items to show how the world is increasingly connected and one of the exhibits was Didier Jogba's Chelsea shirt from that season and the point that we're making was this is a shirt worn by an Ivorian playing for a club in London that's owned by a Russian that's made by a German sports company that has a South Korean uh, sponsor etc 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 and was just proof as to how like Didier Drogba was one of the great modern gentlemen. So yeah, we like Didier Drogba. Well, uh, did you guys remember when the was it the Daily Mail came for Drogba's foundation, and then it was yep. found that they were like talking rubbish? Like yep. the, the amount of charitable work he does, I think it's still part of the reason why he plays football. It's because he needs money to fund hospitals and things like that. So yeah, he's a humanitarian as well, which is critically important. So from modern day Chelsea and wonderful human beings in football, let's talk about. Terrible people in football. Let's talk about West Ham no Burnley three. Um, <laughs> Yo, we got so many questions on this. <laughs> uh, 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 let's talk about the the, the on field action for a little bit. So on field action, West Ham started very strongly. First fifteen minutes looks right. Lanzini and Anatovic are back in the West Ham squad, and they when they connect and they get a bit of time on the ball, they do look good. West Ham have a on paper a good squad. However, they do have. David Moyes as their manager. And I hate to say I told you so, but I don't hate to say I told you so. I love saying I told you so. I, I told you so. Um, so West Ham, West Ham. Chris Wood yep. came on in the 61st minute for Burnley, completely turned the game around. Burnley reverted to two up front um, and then were very effective, beat West Ham 3-0. And then, and then, once it became very, very clear that West Ham were <laughs> losing this game, there were... Four separate pitch invasions from West Ham fans. West Ham captain Mark Noble had to physically restrain one fan and try and eject him off the pitch. There was an incident of one gentleman who had stolen the corner flag and had attempted to plant it into the centre circle, much like Graham Souness when he tried to start a riot when he was in Turkey. Um, there was much disruption in the London Stadium with fans turning on... Golden Sullivan. Uh, um, it was the situation was said to be so bad that the Burnley dugout was offered to children, so children were allowed to sit in the subs bench and the area around the Burnley team to protect them. Around about the 80th minute, Sullivan was offered the chance to was uh, kindly told he should leave the premises, and it is alleged that when he attempted to leave the stadium, a number of projectiles were thrown at him, including. A bottle of urine. <laughs> um, things are bad at West Ham. Things are very, very Don't bad at West Ham. Things are very bad at West Ham. Now, let me let me be very, very clear. Things are very, very bad at West Ham. Things are also very, very funny if you are not a fan of West Ham. <laughs> um, uh, in our recommended reads this week, one of the situations we'll discuss. Uh, it's an article by Miguel Delaney, one of the chief sports writers writers at the independent 
who essentially explains what's going on at West Ham Football Club. Um, and what we seem, what seems to have happened this weekend in particular was there was a planned protest by one of the fan groups at West Ham, one of the nicer West Ham fan groups, to which they were dissuaded from doing their protest due to a, another fan group, which has links to the former Intercities firm for fans of British football and, and uh, people who have knowledge of uh, UK football hooligan culture. The Intercity firm were one of the most notorious firms in British football. They were very active in the 80s and the 90s. Um, the Intercity firm is where Cass, if you've ever heard of Cass or the film Cass, that's where he made his name. They're responsible for many of the major clashes with Millwall and Chelsea in the past. Um, so members of that former group have formed their own brand new fan group. Uh, they are looking to take inspiration from Lazio's Ultras. Um, so Lazio's Ultras have a decent amount of sway within Lazio, the running of Lazio Football Club. And it's it's believed that one of the fan groups is looking to to make something similar. They have a number of demands. Uh, one, more money is spent on West Ham Football Club. Two, the badge is changed from the new Hammers one back to the old one with the castle and the hammers and that the word London is removed from the badge. They would like a restructuring of the seating system at the London stadium. And some of their demands don't quite make sense. So I'll leave it, the rest of it to the piece, but there is something inherently rotten with the running of West Ham football club right now. Um, it's alleged that some of the senior members of staff at West Ham tried to have a meeting with this unscrupulous fan group. And then upon realizing who they were and their links to the past, decided to back out at the last minute. Yeah, a recent statement's been issued by the FA and by West Ham Football Club, which I will get right now for you, if you, if you bear with me for 10 seconds. Um, the FA statement following the pitch invasions is as follows. The FA strongly condemns the crowd and services at West Ham United versus Burnley and will be seeking observations from West Ham as well as awaiting the match referee's report. West Ham don't have a game until the 31st of March against Southampton. And it looks as if West Ham will possibly will be either heavily fined or told to play games behind closed doors. There might even be a points deduction involved here. We don't quite know. Um, West Ham United have immediately launched a full and thorough investigation into the incidences which mar the second half of today's, referencing Saturday, today's match and are committed to taking decisive and appropriate action an immediate meeting has been called with all London Stadium stakeholders. There will be no further comment at this time. So, this is the biggest, this should be the biggest footballing story this weekend. It, just essentially West Ham's slow implosion. What are your thoughts? I'm not surprised because anybody that knows the West Ham club, the area, like those guys are from the streets, you know, those those guys are thugs, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a thuggish nature to those guys so i'm not surprised but that they reacted like that based on how the club has been run how they are performing as well it, you're going to get that kind of reaction it's a case in which these owners man you're, you're going to have to turn things around because unlike arsenal fans these west ham fans have more of a direct effect on the club than maybe any other premier league club based on what i know those guys are like in our west ham area and what those fans are like could it be that they are, I don't want to say justified, but do you guys understand where they're coming from, though? In, it's kind of a climate. I mean, if you look at Arsenal, for for example, 
they have all these Venga out protests and whatever the case may be, but it doesn't really feel as if that's going to affect Stan Kroenke in any kind of way. Like as long as the club's making money, why should I really care? As long as I'm selling tickets and et cetera, et cetera, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't affect my bottom line. In this case, how else do you get the attention of people in charge without causing trouble? If the established modes of communication aren't working or don't seem effective, do you know, do you understand what I mean? Like maybe this is the way that people just vent their frustration. I'm not saying it's correct or right, but I, it does. I can't understand how a West Ham fan who's been sold a dream about we're going to leave the bowling ground and go to this new stadium and um, we're going to become, you know, we're going to compete for the top four. And I think they're in 16th or something like that right now. Like, you know, you kind of sold your soul in a way, in a way that Arsenal fans would say they left Highbury and they went to the Emirates or like, how else are you supposed to get their attention? Upton Park was a football stadium that was falling into a state of disrepair. They needed a new stadium. They had a number of options. The London Stadium became available. For a time, it looked as if Leighton Orient was going to get it. Who? Leighton no, Orient. no, Carl. Who who wanted to move, though? The owners, not the fans, necessarily. Not like, necessarily fans, but Upton Park as a football stadium was no longer fit for service. Like, you, it wasn't fit for purpose. You could either spend... You can't tell someone that's gone there their whole life that the stadium... It's a bit broke, so we're gonna leave and we're gonna go to the London Stadium. If like, let me just let me just give you a little quick potted history of what's gone on and and some of the problems that have happened both this season and last season. Uh, so the stadium is it needs it needed it needed lick of paint. So the options West Ham owners had were they could pump in more money to fix it, build a new stand, do whatever, 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 and essentially do what. Tottenham Hotspur doing right now, which is we're going to go to Wembley for a season. We're going to build, rebuild uh, White Hart Lane, and we're going to come back to White Hart Lane. West Ham owners were of the opinion that that wasn't financially viable for the club. They thought they could, you know, when the London Stadium became available after 2012, there was there were a number of options. There were to keep it as an athletic stadium. There was the option to give it as a club share between a number of clubs in London. Leighton Orient wanted it. West Ham wanted it. There was the option for. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur to I don't know why Tottenham Hotspur to go for it eventually um, all things went to West Ham and uh, West Ham got a very very good deal here we've talked we spoke, we've spoken about this on previous on the podcast that the move has been you know this is a stadium that has been paid for by the taxpayer in London West Ham essentially got a, uh, a state-of-the-art sports stadium let me reiterate that a sports stadium for practically nothing you consider how much money say Tottenham Tottenham Hotspur spend on a match day at White Hart Lane. West Ham are paying next to a fraction of that cost to to upkeep the London Stadium because of a very, very good deal done with the council. Um, And reasons behind that are very, very murky. A lot of them possibly have to do with some senior members of West Ham Football Club having links with the current British government. There were some, there's some handshakes. That that is a, that is a very very dodgy deal, and the taxpayer got shafted there. Um, but the London Stadium, the London Stadium is not a football stadium. It was designed as an athletic stadium first. It's got a running track around it. It's not conductive to the atmosphere that was that was possible at Upton Park. Now, first season, last season, um, so you know West Ham have a fantastic year, final year at Upton Park. Slavin Bilic has managed to do well. Dimitri Payet is playing out of his skin. Problem number one. What they should have done is simply take every single person in it that already had a seat at Upton Park and put them in roughly the same area in the London Stadium and just built it out outwards. 
basically like you sign this you sign this stand we're going to put you in that version of this stand in this one what they've done is they mixed up everyone that bought a season ticket mm. when they moved to london stadium and not only that but they essentially gave a it became very easy for people who had been banned from upton park for previous misdemeanors to get a season ticket for the london stadium because there were so many season tickets available um i don't even i don't support west ham i support Manchester united it became very very easy for me to get west ham tickets if i wanted to because it was in the form of london stadium and it was in a particularly good area of stratford and there were very very good transport links um west ham games became particularly popular for weekend tourists so if you're an american tourist and you type in visit.london.com which is one of the number one websites you go to if you want to visit london you're recommended to go to madison resorts go to london Eye, go watch a game of west ham football club and they're being sat. That's a recommendation to watch West Ham. You <laughs> want to watch it? <laughs> what the hell? It, 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 that's, 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 that's not an attraction, man. It right? would explain why they have London on their bed. Just hope you're on a tear today. You're so funny today. I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, so you, what you now have is you have a mixture of die, old-fashioned, die-hard West Ham fans with tattoos of love and hate and whatnot being mixed in with American day trippers, American yeah. tourists, children and whatnot who are paying nine quid for popcorn and they're being sat next to classic West Ham fans who are going to sing some very interesting songs about Chelsea, um, <laughs> which caused the clash. Now, at the start of last season, you, what you might have noticed about the fixture list was most of West Ham big games for the start of last season were played away from home. So their Chelsea game was away from home. Their Spurs game was away from home. The plan was to play all their big derbies away from home up until Christmas until they could sort out the police radios. That all got thrown into the down the pot when Chelsea drew West Ham in one of the early stages of the League Cup fight in of the League Cup. So you may remember there were riots when that happened. Old housemate got killed in after that game. That was hilarious. No, it wasn't. Um, so like this is the problem with West Ham. They like completely bungled the move to London Stadium. Mm. Obviously, performance they couldn't match the performance of last of the season before that because they finished fifth the season before that playing football that the underlying numbers they absolutely didn't deserve. Dimitri Payet goes off the boil because I will tell you off the record why he went off the boil. I'll tell you on the record that he decided he wanted to go back to Marseille for reasons. Payet goes, Slavon Bilic's tactical plan doesn't change with the departure of Dimitri Payet. The plan was still give it to Payet and Payet will sort it out. So West Ham further go down the table. The idea was they moved to London Stadium. They're going to be playing in Europe. They're going to break through the barrier and become the next top six, top seven club. The idea was West Ham to be close to Southampton, Everton as one of the the new almost big clubs in the Premier League. And also, by all means, is very much understood that Gold and Sullivan wanted to sell. You know, they've done everything quite nicely to sell up this club eventually. There is a there's basically a foot race with a number of London clubs, um, Crystal Palace, West Ham, and to a slightly lesser degree, Tom Hotspur, where they're going to compete with the rest of these massive clubs in the country. We would like to sell up because we we are, we are in London. We we need a nice new site, shiny state stadium, and if you are a massive investor, be it an American investor, a Chinese investor, possibly a Russian investor, and you want to buy a new asset in the same way that. Mr. Abramovich bought an asset on the same way that, the, that you know, FSG bought an asset in Liverpool. You want the next club 
that's going to get bought for loads and loads and loads of money that can have a good chance of cracking top four and going on a Manchester City tear or going on a Chelsea tear will be one of these London clubs. It's going to be Spurs or it's going to be Crystal Palace or it's going to be West Ham. Mm. So there's like a miniature race between these clubs to how can we sort ourselves up really, really quickly and make ourselves a very good prospect. West Ham went for it, but they completely bungled it through years of very silly decisions. David Sullivan's son on Twitter has scuppered two or three of their transfer deals recently. You've got Sullivan, you've got David Gold on Twitter talking about, we're going to definitely try and buy a striker in the summer of 2016. We're going to try and get Daniel Sturridge. We're going to try and get this guy. We're going to try and get Lacazette. And then eventually signed Zaza. And then he slated Zaza on Twitter as well. Willy Cardvalho looked set to go from Sporting Club, the Sporting Club de Portugal to West Ham. And then due to ridiculous behaviour between Gold and Sullivan, the deal was off. And then the president of Sporting Club called them the Dildo Brothers. There was the idea wow. that... Um, <laughs> uh, and and it, that this, is, this, is like just, this is just like a small segment of... I didn't want to talk about West Ham too much because I know we've got more questions about what's going on. But like, this is like... There's just a catalogue of silly mistakes from ownership. I think the you idea kind of addressed all the questions. Silmani. Silmani. Isman Silmani is currently on loan at Newcastle right now from Leicester City. Leicester City. West Ham were going to get Silmani. And then Leicester City revealed that they didn't want to do any dealings with West Ham because Karen Brady said some incredibly derogatory things about the Leicester City owners in her column in The Sun. West Ham is being run by a bunch of people that don't know how to run a football club. And it's it can't, like this, this like poison is being fed from the top down and it's very worrying to West Ham. Like if you could ask me right now, if there's any club that you think is going to do a Leeds and get relegated and get relegated again, I think Sunderland is going to like go straight down from ages of indecision. And I think West Ham look in real trouble now of potentially imploding. And the scary thing about West Ham imploding is I don't think anyone would miss them in the same way that they would, that they had previously missed West Ham when they'd been relegated before. Like when you think when West Ham got relegated with Joe Cole, people were sad and said, that's one of the best teams to ever be relegated. If they got relegated this season, I don't think many people would care. It's really sad because West Ham should be a smartly smartly run and respected football club. But instead, they're regarded as a team run by the Dildo brothers in the Dildo Temple. Okay, okay. So, so in that context, can you understand why somebody would run on the field with a corner flag and why they throw piss at people? I mean, it's not right, but I can kind of get it after all you've outlined. Like, we're being run by idiots, and I love this football club so much, which goes back to have Hope's point of there's a thuggish culture. So isn't this to be expected? Uh, disappointed but not surprised is my reaction. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was saying. Like, I mean, if... Based on who West Ham are, what those fans are, and how and what has happened to the club, I wasn't surprised. It was funny, it was hilarious, but I wasn't surprised. So, well, just just quickly, can, did did you guys see what happened in Leo, where <laughs> Leo were Leo were promised that they were going to go top four or top three, I guess, in France. They were going to challenge for Europa League, Champions League, whatever. They're now nineteenth. Those fans after the game, they went, they stormed on the on the pitch. And they actually assaulted players. Like, it was a whole thing in Lille. And then we saw in Greece where the owner of the Greek team just went on the pitch with a strap. Like, club pitch security needs to be worked out somehow. Like, 
It's a, it's a. Do you remember what happened with was it Monica Sellis in tennis, where someone just ran on the on the court and just stabbed her? It, yeah, how terrifying. Damn. Yeah, like what's going? Are there not people? I mean, obviously the the owner with the strap, who's like, you know, one of the richest people in Greece. I don't know how security necessarily stops him because you can't shoot um, the richest guy in Greece, uh, and he has a gun, so he's gonna get on the pitch if he wants to. But you, we, this has to be stopped. I always think about this when um. Fans run on the pitch, and they want to meet Messi or Ronaldo, and it's always like some fifteen or sixteen year old kid who who wants to meet Messi, wants to meet Ronaldo, and then they hug. Like, what if this person had ill intentions? This that has to be stopped at once. Like, I don't understand how this is a thing. Whether they're happy, angry, whatever the case may be, like fans on the pitch shouldn't really be a thing. In my opinion. Uh, let me try and move on very very quickly because that conversation took a lot longer than I thought it would. Uh, West Brom lost. 4-1 to Leicester City. I think that's the end of West Brom. I think they're yeah. going to get relegated. Yeah, they're, they're uh, that's done. Wait, no, and, no, it's West Brom. They're, they're finished. Them on Stoke. Whatever's going on with Riyad Mahrez, he seems like a great person and is doing very much like, I'm just going to play the best at work possibly can and then get my deal next season. Jamie Vardy's goal was superb and possibly goal of the season. I'll move on quickly. Newcastle beat Southampton 3-0. Um, things to note here, uh, following this game, Pellegrino's been fired. Um, so Southampton are need a new manager. If, also, comments, also, also, uh, can I quickly mention that Kennedy is nice and Conte is stupid. Huddersfield drew no-no with Swansea. Um, the most notable thing here is basically how well Carver Hall has organized Swansea's defense. Uh, and Alfie Mawson looks like he might be a dark horse for the England squad. I said it. I said it right there. Um, again, moving on very quickly, Everton beat Brighton 2-0. Um, two th- things particularly important for that one is that uh, St. Tosin scored um, after Big Sam said he might not be fit for purpose in the Premier League after only nine days and Theo Walker had a very good game so Everton may have turned the corner using Sam Allardyce's January signings I still think it's an unhappy marriage and that Sam Allardyce will leave in the summer but that's good for Everton now the main meet Manchester United 2 Liverpool 1 I think it was the 200th derby between these two sides and uh hope i'll let you take the lead with this one as you said earlier on the podcast uncle moo is back so please tell me more uncle moo uncle moo uncle moo and i think people just need to apologize to her to, to the, that, 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 that's, that's all i ask for starting with you you said i'm finished he's done da, no no da, no, da, no, da, no, da. no i'm i'm, the, and I'm now, the last and guy now we need to apologize after you left him as well Basically, put it, put it this way. Mourinho keeps on reminding people, whenever he's back against he keeps reminding people that he is still one of the greatest tactical minds that our planet has ever seen. And for Klopp, when the plan A works, it works well. When it doesn't, this guy doesn't have a plan B. And how good of a manager can you be if you don't have a plan B or a plan C? United were like, fine, take 60-70% possession, see if I care. Go to sit deep. Matic is going to read the hell out of the game. We're going to hit you, hit you hard, and hit you direct. I'm going to trust Rashford to be there direct to go for you and hit you quickly because we know that your weakness is that defense. And that defense, when we have strikers that play direct and play fast and play exactly towards towards you to really force you into a mistake, we know that you're not going to be able to, to cope. And again, you look at that goal from Rashford. Every defender, man, don't sell yourself. Don't sell your soul. You're like... Any quality defender, if you take an example like Bart Simpson, a.k.a. Lamb, you have to be willing to go right and go left as quickly as possible. 
I don't know whether it was, it was Robertson or so forth. You sold yourself way past, which made it very easy for Rashford to do the standard move. Push yourself in, hook back, send the, the defender to Scotland, gives you a nice um, runway just to put the ball in the bottom right-hand corner. And the other one was just like right place, right time, right ex- ex- execution. And for Liverpool, it's like, again, it's like, that's the whole point. Like When it works, it looks great. It looks amazing. Same thing with Napoli. When it works, it looks great. But with these teams that win 5-0, 6-0, play great attacking football, I say, wait a minute, will this work against a strong defensive team? What if this doesn't work? Do you have a plan B? Do you know how to change it up? And again, as we saw, Klopp, you know how to change it up. Mourinho gave him a tactical smackdown. Can I ask you this question uh, from Red Devilology? He says, is Hamford back supporting Mourinho again after wins versus Chelsea and Liverpool? I thought he parted ways with him, as did I. And that and, uh, he couldn't be defended after the Manchester derby. I, ne- I never left. I never left. I never left. I'm pretty sure there's tape. It's been bonds. 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 If I felt like doing the research, I could recover it, but I don't. So. Don't. Uh, um, Carl, Carl, h- how did you feel about your team uh, against Liverpool? It seemed like they actually had the intention of attacking, which is a bit weird. This was a great week for Mourinho. Uh, great two weeks in Mourinho. You know, the Chelsea game coming from a goal down to beat Chelsea 2-1. The thrilling 3-2 victory over Crystal Palace. And now this result. Mourinho, whisper it, looks, this, looks as if he's turned a corner with Manchester United. And I think a lot of it comes down into his in-game management. He seems to have really got better at his substitutions and his plan B. So, you know, talking broadly about the last two weeks, but very specific to this one. Sorry. He knew for a fact that Liverpool were going to try and put Lovren and Virgil van Dijk to beat up Lukaku. So from the early stages, it looked as if Virgil van Dijk was going to face Lukaku in in aerial stages. So Lukaku very, very smartly was instructed to drift wide and pull Virgil van Dijk out of gameplay, which created space for Rashford and... Well, which created space for Rashford to exploit by taking on Lovren. Um, So the very first goal uh, is... Luka- uh, goal kick from David De Gea goes to Lukaku Lukaku beats Lovren on the aerial battle opens up some space Rashford runs onto it chops Trent Alexander-Arnold amazing finish goal second one very very similar Luka- uh, Lovren is caught a little bit lost in between the space after Lukaku's bullied him a little bit after some shenanigans in the punny area between Juan Mata and I think there's a block as well Rashford again one chance one shot goal um, it, this was sort of like the perfect Mourinho performance where you have a very, very strong game plan where you you find a you find an exploit in your enemy, which is the gap between Lovren and Trent Alexander-Arnold. You exploit it twice. And once you've exploited it, you shut up shop, which is mm. what he did perfectly. Like Eric Bailly was superb. Um, of credit to Ashley Young. I said some very, very bad things about Ashley Young. Uh, in, a, in the last couple of weeks, but he completely shackled Mohamed Salah. Rashford was fantastic and took, you know, th- those were his first starts in the Premier League this year. And he took that, he made the most of the opportunity with a plum. Um, shout out to Frank De Boer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I was, can, can I play this clip of Jose just going in on yeah. Frank De Boer? Okay. Go for it. <clears throat> I read something, uh, some, some quote from uh, the worst manager in the history of the Premier League. Um, Frank De Boer, uh, seven matches, seven defeats, zero goals. Um, where he was saying that uh, 
it's not good for Marcus Rashford to have a, a coach like me because the most important thing for me is to win. If he was coached by Frank, he would learn how to lose <laughs> because he lost every game. I tried to give the best. All right, no, no, okay. all right, that's do it. Why do people still come for Jose Mourinho? Just leave this Stupid. man alone. Just leave Jose Mourinho alone. <laughs> you cannot win. Conte, shit after he had his battle with Mourinho. Wenger <laughs> hasn't won a league. Uh, Rafa Benitez, like, where is he? Like, where's his wife? Like, just stop coming for Jose Mourinho. This guy's too nice on the mic. You can't fuck with him. Leave him alone. Leave him be. Boss, let let, let him coach his negative boss. football in peace. Do not come for him. You don't uh, want it. It's something was quite. I quite enjoyed how he said the worst manager in the history of Premier League, and then named De Boer, and then gave the stats <laughs> as to why. Like it was a real like. He's like, the best. First, dead I pen. shame he, you. He, he, then I name you. Then I give the facts to why I did it. So real. <clears throat> it was, you know, no, for, for me, do, do you know when I knew that Uncle Mo was really the best? It was when he forced Guardiola to swear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I was like, literally, there was no, like, Guardiola, I think they actually ended up even beating um, Real Madrid in that whole thing. And I think, because I, I was saying to myself, wait a minute, Guardiola, you, I, everyone knows that you're the, you're the better team. Everybody knows that you're, you've done better than Mourinho this season and so forth. But Mourinho so got under his skin that in the press conference, he ended up swearing. So I knew that man... Uncle Mo has some serious powers. <laughs> has some serious powers. Yeah, he said seven matches, seven losses, zero goals. <laughs> That's bad. Basically, the boy, basically, there's nothing you can say. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those rap battles where, like, you get ethered so badly that there is no response. <laughs> you can't. There, no, you no. can't. You can't respond. You've been destroyed. <laughs> Well, no, 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 you know, like, no, it's, it's the worst beat I've ever had, ever, ever. <laughs> it's the worst beat I've ever had in football. It's, it's, like, the, worst it's, it's the worst one since he called, it's the worst one since he called Wenger a specialist in failure and then spun him. <laughs> and, uh... and, and he got Wenger so mad, <laughs> this classy Wenger that everyone talks about, got him so mad that he wanted to punch him on the sideline. Like, Mourinho's <laughs> a genius, bro. Um, yeah, Mourinho, Mourinho, chat smooth game. Uh, focus on the game, focus on the game at hand, uh, Klopp made comments afterwards saying there perhaps should have been a penalty. Mourinho said, I don't care. I don't care if they, people think they should have been a penalty. What mattered in the day was the result. We won. I don't care if you think I was negative. Um, before the game began, I expressed interest in the fact that Paul Pogba didn't make it. So apparently Paul Pogba injured himself in a recent training session. Some reports say Scott McTominay did it. Other reports say someone did it. But United without Pogba... For a game like this, with the Mourinho likes to set up his football, they're almost more effective because of the fact that players will follow his instruction to the letter. And we know Mourinho particularly likes Matomane, um and Marian Fellaini because these are players that do exactly what they're told. They don't, they don't stray from the script. They don't try and put a sixty-yard hail mary pass. They don't try and do uh, a roulette. On the sick, on the out on out on the edge of the box. I mean, Eric Bailly did one, but Eric Bailly seems to get away with it because Eric Bailly is a tank. <laughs> you know, uh, even Juan Mata, who mm. does does have some of the creative flair of Paul Pogba, he's a how do you put it? He's a predictable kind of creative. 
Mm. If that makes sense, like Paul Pogba, he he'll go on a run. He'll leave his his spot by fifty yards. He'll like dribble through midfield, you know, just spin a few players, and then he just leaves this huge gap. Like Matza is creative in that way, but you know what kind of creative he's going to be, which mm. makes him easier to manage. I feel, and the fact that Jose sold this player because of his lack of work rate, and now he's at Manchester United running his socks off. But why didn't you keep him at Chelsea, Jose? I hate you. Well, I love no, no. you at the same time. But, but also, side notes, man. Is Matic one of the best readers of the game in the in the Premier League as far as interception? Defensive midfield? He's no. not better than Kante. No. He's Kante the... is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Matic is... I, I'm still reluctant to call Matic uh, a defensive midfielder. I, when, he, when he first came to Chelsea, he was a box-to-box. And I think his passing has regressed... No, 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 no. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at just purely on, on interception and just breaking down plays. He's a ball winner. I don't know if you can necessarily say yeah. he's defensive, but he's he's good. He's good. He's good. There's better out there. I think something that's particularly important is that Mourinho absolutely trusts him. Mm. Um, and this goes back. Something that really stuck out for me was in the Chelsea game when United went a goal ahead, when they went 2-1 up. Mourinho passed the note to Matic to read. So that is clearly who he views as the on-pitch deputy. What the current Manchester United captain is, Antonio Valencia, I think. And uh, what, Michael Carrick just announced his retirement. Michael Carrick is the current club captain. I think Nemanja Matic will be vice captain or club captain before long, providing Mourinho is still there because Mourinho very clearly trusts this man, absolutely. Have you got a question about Jamie Carragher? Pac Mouse asks, should Jamie Carragher get sacked from Sky? If you're going to sack Keys and Gray, you've got to sack him. And I think that was the point to watch Richard Keyes do when he retweeted it because Keyes said, sort of, it'll be interesting to see how Sky hand- handled this. Because again, Keyes and Gray, they were sacked based off their lewd comments towards women and so forth. And you look at what this, I mean, to spit at someone. So Karga is driving down the motorway and a football fan is driving down the motorway. And this football fan and with his daughter... In the um, in the car, they're basically goading Jimmy Carragher. This now caught on camera, where Carragher winds down his his window, and fed up with how he's been goaded on the motorway, he basically spits in the direction of the football fan and his daughter, who's also in the car as well. So Carragher then came out and he said that he fully apologizes um, for what he did, and he, he said that he, he he grew frustrated based on how he was being goaded on the motorway. But he says still that's no excuse for what he did and now the situation is now with Sky if he isn't sacked people are going to now look at the Richard Keys Andre and Andre Gray sacking to say wait a minute so yes it's true Andre Gray and Thingy you, you have to be okay fair enough you, you sack them but if you're going to sack them for that you're not going to sack um, Karga for what he did sorry man that looks very unbalanced and very inconsistent no so, so, so you, don't, you don't think Karga should be sacked Here's something. When I've read the news that Jamie Carragher had been suspended, I was shocked. And then I caught myself being shocked as to, hang on, I shouldn't be shocked. That is an appropriate response for how he behaved. I would not like Jamie Carragher to lose his job. I think he's very, very good at his job. I think he is a very, very good uh, addition to Sky's football selection. What about Keys and Gray? What about Keys and Gray? Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me go through it. Let me go through it. And I think... He is a good pundit who's slowly becoming a great pundit and he's 
back and forth with Gary Neville is a great asset to Sky. Uh, conversely, when Andy Gray and Keys made those comments, I thought they were particularly bad pundits. I thought they were conventionally dinosaurs, and I thought that if you could get rid of those two people, you should because they were they were holding back the product and they weren't adding anything good to football. I think you you know sometimes you have to get rid of the old to begin the new, and I think the new is you know Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville covering the football is an improvement on. Richard Keys and Andy Gray. And if it I think most people will agree there. Now, I would not like Jamie Carragher to lose his job over this. However, that is my personal preference because I think Jamie Carragher is good at his job, which shouldn't be the point. The point is, did Jamie Carragher behave in a way which is a sackable offense? Okay. Okay, but Danny, let me ask you this then. Who would you say I'm, I'm actually gonna put this as a, as a poll on Twitter? Who are better pundits? Andy Gray, Richard Keys, or Neville and Carragher? I'm for, for me. I'm 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 saying Keys and Andy Gray, man. Andy Gray is a better color commentator, in my opinion. the The fact that he's not calling games anymore, I find that a bit disheartening. Because I I enjoyed him. Like you get that, oh, you're beautiful, like that that kind of stuff. That's fun. Um, Keys, I don't know enough about to make a decision one way or the other. I do enjoy the the banter between. Carragher and Neville but I think as Carl was trying to say like personal opinion might be I don't want him to be sacked because I like what he does on TV however once you open your mouth to spit on someone you gotta go like you're at the paint you're sideline you can't spit on oh, people wait, so, 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 so suspension or a sacking so you're saying it's sack he should be suspended and then sacked like you can't spit on people are you crazy I mean that's look that's a role man <laughs> you know that was that was like Let's be real. That's. Do you real. know how gross? Like I, we talk about this too much. Do you know how gross the action of spitting on someone is? No, he he should be sacked, in my opinion. Is is, is all I'm saying because you have time to think about it. You can't. It's, spitting isn't a an instant reaction. I don't think. Like you think, all right, this person's pissed me off. That's one. Then you have to gather spit. That's two. Then spit. That's three. There's too many cognitive hoops to jump through. For me, for you to be like, oh, it was a moment of mad. I, don't, I can't do a Liverpool accent. I'm not even gonna try. It was a moment of madness. Like, no, you're nasty ass motherfucker is what you are, and you deserve to be sacked. Spitting on people, you got me fucked up. If someone spat on me and they just got suspended with pay, sack. He's gone. He's out. And I don't care how good he is at punditry. That's besides the point. That's where I'm at with it. I'm sick of Hello? people spitting on each other. Like y'all, some nasty ass. Like, stop spitting on people, man. <laughs> Why do we talk about this every week? Somebody's Hello. biting this guy, spitting on this guy. Like, ugh. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want Carragher to lose his job. However, that's because I like Jamie Carragher. And that shouldn't be, that shouldn't factor into what he did. What he did is a sackable offense. This could be construed as assault. Why are you, this is the, the thing I really can't get my head around. Why did you spit? Why did you not just give him the middle finger and drive off? That was very much there for you. But, you know, he was given the, you know, apparently he's been given, he was getting jaw jacked the entire time on the thing, on the motorway. Um, and this was essentially the straw that broke the camel's back. That's no excuse to spit at someone. As you just said, why are you spitting at people? Do you know, now, um, do you know I find it funny that <laughs> people are like, he spat on a 14-year-old girl. So it makes it worse. No, spitting on someone, whether they're 14, 41, 114 is not correct. The the victim shouldn't matter. 
um, I've read it online. The person who was filming them was just as you're not just as bad if you film someone if you're giving them a bit of banter, and you it's a famous person. Like you're you're, you're filming them because they're famous, and maybe this would make like a, a good moment on Instagram. You're not filming it because yo this this person's gonna spit on me, and then I'm gonna capture it and I'm gonna get them sacked. That's not the point. What Kevin well, did was just be on the bounds of any reasonable reaction to somebody saying words to you. Like yeah, you can't no spit no. No, I'm not. I don't have any time for people who are like, oh, he should be sacked. It wasn't that big of a deal. No, if someone spat on your sister or your mother or whomever, if they spat on you, you'd be shitty and you would want that person's job. I don't have time. <laughs> well said. Um, the police are also going to investigate the dad for recording it because dad was driving and he shouldn't be on his phone. That's fair if you want to say yeah. that. Don't, don't I, film and drive at the same time, you moron. But and, that doesn't uh, mean so much to spit on you. There was a West Ham player that spat earlier this season. We talked about this. Is that the the left back that they have? Yeah, Musaku. Maybe that's the one. Musaku. Yeah, Musaku spat, and Karaga said, uh, "It's vile. It's disgusting, and it's an absolute disgrace." It's one thing playing like that, playing as poorly as he did, but one thing to go and spit on an opposition player. It's now down to West Ham to react and show the fans that that type of behavior, that type of behavior, will not be tolerated. It's an absolute disgrace. Jimmy Karaga. So, uh, that's what Carragher said. That's what Carragher said about spring incident earlier. Now, now Carragher has apologized both publicly and he has sent a message to the family. And from my understanding, the family has accepted his apology. So, if that is as far as Sky wants to take it, so be it. I don't think he's going to get sacked. I think he's done his apology. I think he's going to get those people tickets to a game and or get someone a bo- some boots. I think that would be the end of it. It raised some really interesting questions about how we treat people in football. Like Carragher was driving down the street, was driving on motorway, and apparently had been bullied and jaw jacked for 20, 30 minutes. It raised an interesting question about how um, our consumption of football has gone from I'm going to yell at a football player because he's having a bad game to I'm going to yell at anyone tangentially involved in football if they're behaving in a way I don't like. So we've gone from booing players to booing owners to booing football writers to booing football pundits to booing football journalists. And you wonder, is there a, is there, is there a line? Is there a point at which we as fo- people in football go stop? Greg Johnson, who's been on this podcast before, has said basically all Carragher did was what every single football journalist would do on Twitter, but in real life. Like, you're a football journalist on Twitter. You write an article after an article after an article. You get quote retweeted. You get called a this what this a crispy crunchy crackety this one this one this one and eventually <laughs> was that Cat Williams yeah ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might put this I might put this first <laughs> crispy crackety crunchy cool. But anyway, uh, Catwoman's ain't funny no more, but I do like that segment. It's a really nice way to not swear, but also swear. Um, but yeah, you know, you spend, you write those football articles and you get called XYZ, XYZ constantly. And eventually one, you will retaliate. You will say, shut up or be quiet or, or some other nonsense. Ha- Carragher responded. He spat. His response was bad. Carragher had the option to, re- Carragher was within his rights to respond to the abuse he was getting on the motorway. Carragher was not within his rights to spit. And I think that's all I have left to say about that. I wish I could interview. Like, why didn't you just roll your window up, man? <laughs> that's me saying, why don't you just like block and report them, fam? Just mute them. 
people deal with things in different ways. All right. How do we want to kick this off? Uh, this one's from MF Bain 301 He says, how much better would Senegal be if they had Leroy Sané? Um, and is he guaranteed to get playing time for Germany at this upcoming World Cup? Is anyone guaranteed to play for Germany? No. I don't think so. I think they have so many good players that you're not. No one's guaranteed to play, except maybe Neuer, if he's yeah. healthy. Well, yeah, and and Hummels and, and Boateng. I mean, Hummels, Boateng, and Neuer are the only guarantees. Ozil, perhaps by name, but not necessarily by form. Now, look, there are lots of look. You've got Julian Brands, you've got Draxler, you've got okay, Gunnar if it's fit. So all those places, in, you know, a dead sense. Yeah. So. From Munib Farhook, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Do you prefer Mbappe on the wings or as a striker, and why? Mm, he's he's better as an attacking winger, like 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 the modern inside forward thingamajig. That's that's his best position. You do you think he has like the the dribbling ability to to be that? Oh no no yeah hundred hundred percent like he's got the technique and the but it's just a, I haven't it just seen it. To... I've 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 seen him like be able to control it, hit it, and then run past people. But actually, beat people with skill. I don't know if that's necessarily no, I've, his game. No, I've seen it. I've, it just hasn't really been working for him for PSG this season. But at, at Monaco and in a few games in PSG, you can see he definitely has that skill in him. Um, but striker is that's a different kind of position that I don't really think suits him best. Mm, yeah. I disagree. Uh, I would have preferred Mbappe. I said this before. Mbappe is the player that most reminds me of watching original Ronaldo. That's not to say he's going to be as good as him. That's just to say he reminds me a lot of Inter Milan Ronaldo from Whoa, essentially... Oh, hey, hey, Carl, Carlos, relax. relax. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Relax, relax. <laughs> no, no, please. Because, uh, and I, I said this before, something, that's, something about him and to a lesser degree Leroy Sané is they hit top speed so quickly, so quickly when they hit on the ball. And they move the ball very, very quickly as well. So they're, they're fastest to the ball, they're fastest with the ball. And I would have loved to have seen Mbappe just stay as a number nine and be out and out on them, goal up goals. Very similar to Marcus Rashford in the fact that like, I'm just happy to see them on the pitch and I don't mind if it's wide or, or as, as an attacker. But I think ultimately for both of those players, they're both going to be very, very good number nines, if not great number nines. Mm. Um, and I think that's where both of their futures lie. Can I, can I also add that Ronaldo, as a 21-year-old, was one of the stars of the 98 World Cup? That's fine. I could offer you a rebuttal for Mbappe's numbers and how he is the closest one to ever being original Ronaldo at the age of 18, if you allow me to get the numbers up. Ronaldo was 19 when he was at PSV. And I think mm-hmm. he moved to Barcelona when he was 20 or 21, I think. Mbappe's debut season... The numbers, the underlying numbers to Mbappe's debut season were very, very close to the underlying numbers to one of original Ronaldo's debut seasons. In 2017, Mbappe scored 30 goals across all competitions in a calendar year. That was the best by any player under the age of 21 since the original Ronaldo scored 38 in 1995. So Mbappe was good to great, to historically great in the year of 2017. Now, However, here comes the however. Mbappe was finishing a ridiculous amount of his shots. Now, your average striker, a good, your average striker has like a conversion rate of around about 15%. A great striker is someone like Lionel Messi who can put away around about 20% of their shots. These are just numbers. Don't worry. If you don't want to go by that stat stuff, you don't have to. Now, 
the really interesting thing about Mbappe's Champions League run last season was he was putting away around about 30% of his chances, which is ridiculous. Like Messi breaks the metric and he puts away about 20%, which is one in five. Mbappe was scoring off one in three percent of opportunities, which means Mbappe is currently going through a dip in form that was always expected from his numbers. Again, however, the expected goals for Mbappe that he was supposed to score last season. So Mbappe outperformed how many goals he was supposed to put in the back of that net. Who was supposed to put in the back of the net last season by a massive margin. However, the amount of goals he should have scored by expected goals put Mbappe on the same level as Alexis Sanchez. Mbappe is 19 years of age and he's already as good an attacking prospect as Alexis Sanchez. That is a frightening young man, and I can't wait to see him tear up the World Cup. Speaking of PSG. Two questions relatively on the same on the same page. Um, do you think that Neymar to Real Madrid is just a matter of time from Abdul from the FC podcast? And Football God asks, if Neymar goes to Real Madrid like next summer, do you guys think that Cristiano will get sold or Neymar and Cristiano will play together? So do we think that Neymar to Real Madrid is a formality? Like this is going to happen? Not a formality, but I do believe it will eventually happen. Before or after Ronaldo leaves? After. Yeah, after, after. Now, please, anything I say about Neymar making big transfers should now come with the, uh, should now be prefaced with the fact that I completely got Neymar to PSG wrong. I got that completely wrong. I was on this podcast and I said some ridiculous things about how Neymar would absolutely not leave for PSG. And Hope said some serious things about how he needs to go be that dude and to be that dude, he has to go to PSG. So I hold my hands up saying, I got Neymar to PSG completely wrong. And from that same sentiment, I really believe Neymar isn't going to Real Madrid for a while. Mostly because I think that the next big Real Madrid mega project is going to be Eden Hazard. I think that's that. I think the next shiny new toy Real Madrid buy isn't going to be Harry Kane, isn't going to be Dele Alli. I think it's going to be Eden Hazard because Chelsea are in XYZ state. Real Madrid, if Zidane can keep his job and or, you know, if Zidane can leave in a nice manner and Real Madrid can have a season that doesn't count as a failure, due to the links of Zidane at Real Madrid, and we know that Hazard and Zidane are very, very friendly. Yeah, I think Hazard is the next big shiny toy for Real Madrid. And I think Hazard and Ronaldo playing next to each other is a more appealing, more likely prospect than Neymar and Ronaldo playing together. And I think I don't I don't see Ronaldo playing next to Neymar. I think that's too many wages too much of a clash of egos and too many weird rumours. Um, but I, that said, I wouldn't be surprised if Neymar does eventually end up in Real Madrid because we know Real Madrid want him since the Santos days. A question from S-M-U-P-A-M-B. He just calls himself Bull Lion. I just wanted to know if any of you three played football at a young age. If so, what position? And what were your strengths and weaknesses? Shall I start first? Yeah, go, go for it. it. Uh, so I started off as a rapid winger. So my my trick was I was just one of the fastest kids at school. Um, although my dribbling ability wasn't that great. I was very much kick and rush. I just knock it forward, catch up, kick, knock it forward, catch up. Um, so that was up until I was around about 12, 14. Uh, then I dropped through the school team rankings. Didn't really play football that much at school um when i was 15 to 16 i played as a left back for a team called newham rangers which was a sunday league team we got promoted 
in one league, so playing left back. Then I didn't play football again until sixth form, where I tried playing again as a winger. Didn't really work because the school level at sixth form was a lot higher than it was back at Sunday League and back when I was playing in whatever. And what really changed my footballing career, so to speak, was uh, FIFA 09. So FIFA 09 had uh, be a legend mode where you could scan your face and stick in the game. And I put my height and my weight attributes into the game. And FIFA said you would be a 72 rated winger, but you would be an 82 rated defensive box-to-box midfielder. So in the gap between year 12 school football and year 13 school football, uh, I played a lot of five to the side and I turned myself into a box-to-box midfielder. I went from not getting a sniff into the school team to making the second 11. So that's my history. I also had a big, I also had a stint as a goalkeeper because I was pretty tall. I won one penalty shootout once. But yeah, that's me. My attributes are oh. I'm quick. I can get around the pitch pretty well and I'm pretty good in the tackle. Um, so yeah, I now prefer to play box to box midfield. I'm one of your middle pivot in the four, two, three, one. What are your weaknesses? Uh, my weaknesses are I'm not a great dribbler. Someone once described it as I play as if I've got a growth spurt. So my brain is trying to do the right things, but very often my passing and my, I like quite a few of my passings go astray and quite a few of my like, I'll try and do a one-two and it won't come off because I'm clearly just hadn't anticipated it properly. So, so you're like Bakayoko. Yeah, why not? I'll take that. <laughs> uh, I've been basically playing ever since, you know, the, the days of my Nigeria and so forth. But I think it's really begun to get serious when I moved to Switzerland in Geneva, where I was in central midfield. And this was when I actually had stamina. I could run up and down. And basically for all this time, me and my the guy I was staying with, my friend, we tried to get into the Servette team. But so we're always trying to go to trials and so forth. And the year that I left, the summer that I, I left Switzerland to go to move to go to England, I actually received a letter which I still have from the Servette Club saying that they actually they had chosen me to play in a televised game for people of my age group. But I couldn't go because that was the year in which I left to England, so that pretty much sucked. So whilst in England, my main role was central mid midfield. Um so I played through that. So I was always going... So when I was from 12 to 14, 15, I was bouncing off between being in the A team and being in, in the B team. But I was always in the B team or the second team because, again, that's allowed it to be a lot more free and do more skills. Because I hated to run and I hated fitness, that's why I never made the A team because they always, always forced you to, to run. So, but then I then... When I was, I think when I was 16, 16, 17... Um, I messed up my ankle, you know, and that was pretty much messed up my football career. So <laughs> I didn't really have the ability to really keep up in central mid- midfield. So then I had to pretty much move to right back. So as of right now, I would say that my role as a, a guy with horrible stamina, um, who pretty much loses his breath and can't breathe after two minutes, is is um, creative play playmaker that that's that's my main thing so and my main attributes was always um passing through balls basically creating chances for for people so basically dribbling and through balls and playmaking weaknesses weaknesses i would say i wasn't a prolific goal scorer and because my stamina is so bad don't expect me to track back and tackle or else i'll just collapse <laughs> so 
So, so, so basically, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a flair player than the hard worker. So. Okay. All right. All right. I guess this is the point where I say, like, my whole childhood was spent playing basketball. And I only played football, like, in a park or, like, in school during recess. So I, 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 I wouldn't know where to start with my strengths, weaknesses, positions. We just kicked the ball around. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was basketball. Like you could find me practicing free throws more than you would um, no, but, but shooting the ball. The interesting thing, though, is that me and Carl, even if we are polar opposites, would actually make a very good midfield pair. You know, no, no, because you have your I guy agree. who is much more into playmaking and creating, and you have a guy who is much more box to box and understands the rudimentaries of intercepting and keeping the the midfield intact. And that is always a good pairing to have. Because you can't have two guys who are two of the same in your central midfield. You need to have one and, and the other who are have different characteristics to balance things out. Um, my rebuttal to that is Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. But yeah, but then I, you have I, Casemiro. True, good point. I prefer, to, yeah, I prefer to sit at the base of the midfield and just intercept and redistribute and recycle possession. I scored some fancy goals when I was a kid. I'm not that good anymore, so I'll do that. <laughs> Ideal World Cup and Champions League final. So if we can get a quick answer from from everyone. My ideal World Cup final is France-Brazil after Brazil played Germany in the semifinal, if that's possible. Um, If not, then I want Brazil-France in the semi and then Germany-Brazil in the final. I think that has to happen. I'll take Daniel's World Cup suggestion. France-Brazil would be a great one. I think that's a great rekindling of a rivalry. Um, obviously, it'd be cool to see England lose a World Cup final, just for Bent. <laughs> Trust me, uh, this country would explode if that happened, so don't... Oh, yeah, it'd be great. We'd just be drinking for a whole weekend. I'd, I'd find it hilarious. Um, my my ideal Champions League final would be... Man- Manchester City would be my ideal Champions League final this season. I think Manchester City versus Bayern Munich would be something I'd really enjoy watching. Hmm. Pep Guardiola versus Jupp. I think that'd be a good matching of old versus new and of two teams that have fantastic wide players. So you get Ribéry and Robin against Sané and Sterling slash Sané and Silva or Sané versus De Bruyne. And I think you've got Lewandowski versus Gabriel Jesus or Lewandowski versus Sergio Aguero. I think that would be a really, really fun 120 minutes. There'd be be a lot to, to be very interested in there. So yeah, I mean, World Cup final, I have two. Based off 7-1, Brazil needs to get their revenge. And I don't count the Olympic final as a revenge. So, based on that, I think... It, you know what? I've got, I've, got, I've, got, I've got two. So, Brazil... Look, I've got three. Brazil, Germany, based off a revenge chance for Brazil. France, Brazil, because I think those that would probably be the most interesting final. And... Portugal, Argentina, <laughs> Messi against Cristiano in the final would literally break down social media. Like that would literally break the record for the most tweets ever for an event. If you had Argentina and Portugal in in a final, and for the Champions League final, I don't know. I would like to see Real Madrid against Bayern Munich. Real against Bayern. I think that would be a very very entertaining final. Uh, Carl, recommended reads. Yeah, recommended reads. Uh, Miguel Delaney talking about West Ham uh, from the Independent. Uh, Let me get my phone out. Uh, Ian Robin, 
I don't, I'm not sure if Iron will play in the Champions League this week. They oh, are 4 0 up against Besiktas? Four or five? I think it might be four. Four, four and up against Besiktas in the Champions League, so he might not start. But it's just, it's an old look at uh, from Iron Robin explaining how he cuts inside on his left mm. um, and how he's been doing it ever since he went to Bayern Munich. Because well, the interesting thing about Robin cutting inside on his left is it wasn't a move he really did at Chelsea or at Real Madrid. It's a fairly new phenomenon in his career. So there's that. Um, and there's a nice longer read from on ESPN about the Syrian football team and what's going on there. Um, yeah, we, as I, as I said, we got a little special thing coming out within the next two weeks about Zinedine and Zidane in the World Cup. So check our Instagram if you want more information on that. Maybe I'll put it on Twitter here in the next week or so. You can follow me at Daniel's Look. Carl, where can the people find you? Anchorman616. Have Hope, where can the people find you? At Half Hope Cottage. Cool. Uh, and we collectively are at Talking Tactics. Look us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever your preferred social media is. Yeah. Let's get out of here, guys. Talking Tactics podcast, sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always for the ball. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Podcast Network.